Good morning, good morning. Breakfast is dedicated today in loving memory of Jack Feldman, Lilu Nishmat Yaakov Rafael Ben Rose, sponsored by the Feldman family. Breakfast is also dedicated in loving memory and Lilu Nishmat Shoshana Badlea, sponsored by Cookie and Stanley Chira. <clears throat> we have a very interesting uh, story in our parasha, which has spanned basically the last three parashiyot. The first beginning of the story is the part where Yaakov Avinu and Esav tussled for the Berachot. Then eventually Yaakov needs to leave because of that. Then eventually we find the story where Yaakov, Yaakov Malachim, where he's trying to placate his brother. That, that is the trifecta, if you will, of, the, uh, of, what's, of what's unfolding in front of us. But the real question that one needs to ask is, why is it that Yaakov is being punished in this way? Why in the world is, uh, after being sent by his father, by his mother, to go get a wife, he is only going to get married. He wasn't going to, uh, to go clubbing. He wasn't uh, going to Lavan for Club 54 uh, back in the day, right? This was, the, you know, at the time, Studio 54. It was, at the time, it was Studio Point 54. It was a little bit uh, prior, right? So, you know, it wasn't, that wasn't the point. It wasn't that he was going to do the wrong things. He was going to do the right things. And if that's the case, so we say, normally, someone's going to do the right thing. They don't have damage come to them because they're trying to do the right thing. So why is it that he gets attacked by Esav. But the question really, on some level, is compounded as well. <clears throat> the question is compounded uh, by the fact that, ultimately, sorry, he got the beracha. So the result of the beracha is all these wejaras, like they say. So if anyone who's not Syrian, wejaras means suris. Okay. So the point is, Rabotai, it's an unbelievable situation here. Yaakov Avinu was getting punished with Esav. Not only that, we're about to read in Parashat Vayeshev, and just to, you know, turn a couple of pages, for those of you who are quick readers, you may be reading ahead, right? That Yaakov is punished with Yosef getting sold, Yosef leaving him for 22 years. Why? Because he left his own parents for 22 years. And the question is, what kind of, what? Yaakov's parents told him to go. We ask this question, a variation of this question, on Shabbat. So what's going on here? So I want to share with you the words of uh, the briskarov, the grizz, like they say, and, uh, and I think that there's a powerful lesson here. He asks on the Mishnah, the Mishnah says in Pirkei Avot, A person could look at three different things, you don't come to sin, if you look at these three things. And then the Mishnah continues, and it says, you should know where you're going, right? And finally, where do you come from? <coughs> you come from Tipasirucha. You come from a little drop of genetic material, you know, the format in which it was transferred from your father to your mother. This is where you come from, you know, but you know, big shot. Calm down, slow down. Don't be too big for your britches, they say, okay? I remember there was someone, <laughs> there was an American guy who came to England and he was talking and he gave a speech. And he kept saying that someone was too big for his bridges, you know. And the whole English group, every time he would say it, the whole place would start laughing. And the guy had no idea what he was saying wrong. And he kept, he kept asking, he says, I'm too big. He goes, is that not how it goes? They're like, no, no, that's how it goes. <laughs> okay, so you can't be too big for your bridges, right? You know, it's a problem. So what's it called? The, the second part is, where are you going to be going? So you know you're going to Olam Abba or Hasri Shalom, the other place. You know, it's a, a challenge, you know, you can either, you go to the elevator and the, and the malach, he either pushes H for heaven or he pushes H for, you know, you got two options there, both are the same, it's very, the difference between them can be very slight, Rabotai. Okay, and finally, what's the last thing? Who are you going to give din the in front of? Now, it's very interesting, says the, says the briskarov. 
There's two words there. Who are you going to give? Deen. What does Deen mean? Judgment. The Heshbon means an accounting. In what way are these two, two things different one to the other? Obviously, when you give an accounting, that's what they judge you for. And when they judge you, that's for what you gave an accounting for. What are the two different words, din v'hejbon? If the Mishnah gives us two, it must mean that they're separate. And listen to what he says. He says something that is absolutely magnificent. Let's go back to the beginning of time. Adam Arishon does the first sin. Borei Olam comes to Adam Arishon. He says, Ayeka, where are you? Where are you? Where have you fallen to? I made you, uh, you know, to be the king of the whole world. I gave you literally the whole world for yourself. And, and where are you? Where have, to where have you fallen? Uh, Adam Rishon is being taken to test. That is Deen, says the, says the, the, uh, the Briskarov. But then, the guy, he answers back. Adam Rishon says, I heard you coming through the garden, right? And I was embarrassed. Why were you embarrassed? I was embarrassed I was naked, so I hid. Borei Olam says, Who told you that you were naked? How did you know that? What did, did you eat from the tree that I told you not to eat from? Now it's really interesting here. Because the sequence that God takes Adam Arishon through in this reckoning illustrates or mirrors the concept of Deen V'Hejbon. On the one hand, a person is judged uh, in the, whether it's in the world to come or for the birachot that they're looking for in this world, a person is judged by the outcomes, by the, de- the, 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 uh, the, the deed that they have done. But after the deed, after we've written that down, now there's a question. If you go to the legal courts of America today and someone kills somebody, you know, then they ask the guy, they want to know, why did you kill him? The guy might say, uh, plead insanity defense. He might say, it's a crime of passion. I found out that the wife was cheating. I caught them. And, you know, I, I couldn't hold myself. I killed the guy. Okay? Crime of passion. Each outcome has a different response. So in our courts, I mean, I don't necessarily agree with this, but if a guy pleads insanity, the guy might get off scot-free. If a guy, they say it's a crime of passion, they might treat it much more leniently. Look at the guy. He's not a danger to society in general because it was only in this specific instance that he acted this way. We don't have any reason to assume that this is going to happen again. And it's also not entirely his own fault. It also is the fault of the people that put him in this position. They stole his business. They took everything from him. Then he came and he killed the guy. Now, you still have to get judged. But the, the punishment is commensurate as well, not just to the deed, but also to the background against which the deed was committed. If the person is sitting there, and this is literally a legal, uh, this is a legal, they, they look for this in the legal system. If he's sitting there, the judge looks to see, is there any remorse? If the person shows no remorse, then the book that they throw at him, they throw a much bigger book, let's say, okay? So too in the court of God. First question is, what did you do? But the second question is, how did you do what you did? Why did you do what you did? I remember reading in a book, uh, it was called Kashele Gyalminu. Very interesting book, I have to say. Does anyone know where, that, where those words come from? Kashele Gyalminu? Anyone know where that's from? The background? The background of Kashele Gyalminu is, God says, come, come do a reckoning with me on Yom Kippur. If your sins come as red as, a, as red cloth, 
right? I will forgive you. They will be white like snow. It's apropos for today where it's snowing outside. So I still remember this. It's a genius thing of marketing. You know, if you have a nice magazine, you could employ marketing on the front cover, right? You could have a nice picture, an eye-catching picture. You know, hopefully it's appropriate, but an eye-catching picture that makes people want to buy your magazine. If you're selling a, a, like a, a sefer, like the one I have in my hand, you know, it's like <laughs> muted colors of brown and black, you know? How do you catch someone's eye? So what did the guy do? Genius. He has a red sefer, and the words Kashele Gyalbinu, he printed on the binding, is a white background. <laughs> I never in my life saw that in a sefer. That the sefer is red, and then there's like a, on the binding, it's like bright, like white. Kashele Gyalbinu. If it's red like the cover, then it goes white like the binding. Why, why am I bringing this up? Okay, he writes in his book Shele Gelbinu. He says that when a person is on Yom Kippur saying he's sorry for all the things he's done, he's saying this: I did this avon, I did that avon. Not only should a person say vidui on what he did, he should also tell God why he made the mistake. It's counterintuitive, Rabbi. I did the mistake, but you know what? It was so much money, Rabbi. I did the mistake, but you know what? You know, this is, a, you know, as a, this is an old uh, flame. I don't know what the, the guy might give an answer to. Now, I thought to myself, how inappropriate is that? Yom Kippur, you're finally taking responsibility. You're finally doing away with your excuses. Why would you do that? But then I saw this piece from the Briskarov. That's also part of your, your being judged on. Now, the reason why this is very, very important is because I think most people are good people. And they have a shrinking image of themselves because of the things that they've done wrong. But what if they could see themselves almost with a little bit of a kinder light, a little bit less of a harsh, bright light of emet, of justice, but they saw, you know what, I didn't make it today uh, to Knis for the praying. The reason is, it was 25 below zero. I only have a, you know, a, a, a raincoat. It's very, very, very cold. You're mitigating. What you're saying is, it's not that I couldn't care less about praying. I could, but I could also care very less about freezing, uh, freezing the, you know, my bones, the, freezing to chill to the bones. You know, again, it's not an excuse, but it sets the background and the context against which you made the mistake, which by definition also means that you are a better person than the person that did those deeds. A lot of times when we see ourselves that way, we become that way. I'm the type of person that now doesn't go to shul. No, you're not. You're the type of person that when it's 25 below zero, you didn't go. But any other day of the year, you should go. Those, uh, what I call them, the self-talk, if you will, the way that you speak to yourself, the way that you see yourself, is very, it's imperative to be able to understand. So that's what din v'cheshbon means. Now Yaakov Avinu, maybe on the din as an example, Maybe on the dean level, he, you know, he, he bought a bechorah, it was the right thing to do. Maybe on a dean level, what's it called? But the hejbon, the hejbon says, let's look at the background against which we're talking. Who are you, Yaakov Avinu? Who are you? There's a city called the city of Luz. The city of Luz, the Midrash tells us, people live there forever. One man comes to the city of Luz and he decides he's going to move into the city of Luz. Why, unfortunately, you know, he thought he was going to pass away. He goes, he's in the city of Luz, and he tells a lie. The people find out he tells a lie. They said, Mechila, 
we have, you know, you got to leave the city, lose the guys. If I leave, I'm going to die. They said, if that's the case, so be it. Why? Because in this place, where we live and die by emet, for someone not to say emet is the worst thing in the world. Yaakov Avinu is the midah of emet. So the cheshbon demands of him that he say emet not on the level of everybody else, but the context demands a much higher level. So here we have an ironic situation where in Deen, he actually maybe would have got away with it. But Heshbon was where he was caught. There's a fascinating story about, uh, the, about the, uh, what's it called? A man that came to the, to the Briskarov. He was a person who was part of the, uh, the community, of the, uh, running the community. And they were in a thorny situation. And he says, look, this is where we are. This is the situation we're in. What should I do? The, the Rav said to him, this is not how it's supposed to be. He says, yeah, but this is where we're at now. So what do we do now? So the rabbi said to him something which I think is a tremendous piece of, li- uh, li- of life advice and life wisdom. He said, there was a city that had a wagon driver. He was a wagon driver for 50 years. Every day, drives his wagon. Said exactly like it says on the tin. One day, this young blood comes up in the place. He comes in with a wagon. He undercuts him by 25%. He's the Eglon, he's the guy, he's the wagon driver in the town. This guy, he comes very upset with him. He comes up to the young man, he says, listen, I'm upset with you for two reasons. One, number one, I'm upset with you, he says, because it's a challenge to my parnasah. But he says, but that I could get over. If I work on my emunah and I'm by bitachon, I'll know that at the end of the day, there's like the opposite of every single old Western. Remember the Westerns? There ain't enough room in this town for the both of us, right? But if you had a big emunah, maybe there would be enough room in the town for the both of them. On that promise that I could get over. He says, but you know what I can't get over? He says, I can't get over the people of this town that I love are going to be in a wagon with somebody who doesn't really know that much about wagon driving. I'm the only wagon driver in town. You didn't come to me to apprentice by me. You don't know how to do the job. What happens if, God forbid, you know, you're in situations, you don't, you don't know how to comport yourself. You don't know how to get from place to place. You don't know how to be safe with the... He says, look, let's make a deal, the older man says, younger man. He says, I'll give you a quiz. If you answer correctly the questions on my quiz, he says, I'll write off all my uh, grievances and, uh, and the two of us will operate in the same town happily ever after. But if not, you leave town. And you can guess which wagon he's going to make him leave town on. <laughs> okay? You hear the point? The guy says, okay, no problem. Hit me with your best shot. He says, you're in a wagon. You're driving a wagon. He says, there's a whole family with little kids. It's pouring rain. He says, and you're driving down, uh, what's it called? A, uh, a narrow road that's full of mud. And the wagon gets caught in the mud and the horses are pulling, but their legs can't get traction. The wheels are not spinning. What do you do? It's getting colder. What do you do? The wagon driver says, he says, first things first, I'll tell them all to get out of the wagon so it's a little bit lighter. He says, okay, but what if that doesn't work? He said, then I'll tell the, what's it called? The husband, you know, the, the father or whatever, the adults to help me put, push wood underneath the wheels so the, we, the wheels can get traction. He says, okay, what, does, what happens if they're not enough? He says, well then I'll ask the children 
I'll ask the children also to drag, like, uh, so, you know, that way they can put more things in the wood. And at the same time, while they're pushing uh, the wood under the wheels, the adults, the adults maybe can push from behind. The wagon driver says, do you see this? is why you don't deserve to be a wagon driver in our city. He says, what do you mean? He says, you know what the correct answer is? The correct answer is, when it's pouring rain, and you have a family with little children in the back seat, you don't take a narrow road that has mud on it. If that's where you are, you fail the exam. Because what's going to happen? You're going to get stuck. Now you have kids in the mud, adults in the mud, pushing the thing. My body, if you're ever going to get out of there, you could all drown in the mud. What are you talking about? The briskerov said to him, you're coming to me now for a piece of advice. You want to know now that you're stuck what you should do. And now you're telling me that this is where we are. The kids are in the mud. Everybody is stuck. We have to do this thing that really isn't appropriate for the community. It's not the right move. He says, you should have came to me before you drove down a narrow road with mud on it in the rain. Rabutai, I think that's din v'heshbon. Sometimes the din, the judgment, the actions that we do, and I'll tell you this, this is in every single area of our life. A person gets into a situation, they call me up, they say, Rabbi, I need your advice. What's my, what advice? Here's the situation. I say, look, you know, maybe you should do like this. The guy says, Rabbi, I don't really have that option. I say, well, maybe you could do like that. Rabbi, I don't really have that option. Why? I already did it. I said, so what are you calling me for? The guy just wants to feel better about himself that he made the right decision. Anyway, he's stuck. That's what he's doing. I just wanted to talk, talk, talk me through it. What am I talking about? Can you get me 50% discount off in Shammai? Like, you know, what do you want from my life? You understand? Right? You should have called me earlier when there, was, when there actually were options. Sometimes the deen and hajbon are the deed and the uh, intentions behind or the situation behind it. But sometimes a person actually, on the deen level, there's nothing that they could have done. But the reckoning is going to be on why they, they're in the situation within which there's nothing to be done. There is no deen. I like to ask people to think about this all the time. Just decide when you start your day what your day is going to look like. As an example, if you have a meeting with the boss, you make sure that you're outside of your office and you sent that email or you don't start the email that's going to get you in the middle of something. You don't take the important call 10 minutes before if you know it's a 30-minute phone call. If you know, But why is your appointment with your boss bigger, bigger than your appointment with God for, min, for, with your, with, for your appointment with God at Mincha? Why? Why is that appointment a better appointment? How come for that you're willing to get into a situation where, Rabbi, I'm sorry, I couldn't leave. I couldn't get out. You're right. Once you started it, you couldn't get out. Don't start it. In fact, the idea is enshrined in halakha, where we talk about the idea that before a person prays mencha, or before they pray arbit, or before they light Hanukkah candles, a person's not allowed to get involved in something. You know that? It says you can't go to work. You're not allowed to start a meal. Why? Because we're worried. The guy's in the middle of the meal. I can't go now. So sometimes the, the, the challenge in life is not doing or not doing the right thing, but it's about structuring your day. So I thought to myself, what does it look like if you had a God-driven diary? What are you going to put in for minha, for arbit, for a little bit of learning? You know, these things, they get shoved out sometimes, not on purpose. God is your witness, not on purpose. 
But failing to plan is also planning to fail. And sometimes that failure to plan, Rabotai, is the failure for which we're taken to task. So if we want to do better, uh, a lot of times the decision is not made in the moment. The decision is made in the beginning of the day or in the beginning of the week when you set your diary. May God allow us and bless us to uh, welcome Him into our lives. Uh, And uh, through diary, in deed, in thought, in planning, Be'ezat Hashem. Baruch Adonai Le'olam. Amen.